I think that based on some of what we're seeing, we can assume that the Federation has devolved into some sort of authoritarian. (laughs) (laughs) Words! Can't I say them? Okay. Welcome to the first episode of Like a Fish Needs a Starship, a bitterly feminist sci-fi podcast. We're your hosts, Steph and Kat. (laughs) (laughs) Season one, episode one, it's already going great. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just so nervous. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We are your hosts, Steph and Kat. So a little bit about ourselves. Obviously, we are very serious people. We are both lawyers. We apologize in advance. We're both feminists. We're geeks. We are really excited to talk about TV shows, movies, books, and other things that we love. So excited. And also maybe some things that we don't love so much. Like, for example, when a female character is just a doormat or a sexy lamb or fails the Bechdel test. Are you wondering what all of those things mean? Well, we are going to be covering those as we continue down this wonderful journey of science fiction and feminism. Actually, if we're going to talk about stuff that we don't like, last night also when I was in and out of uh, stupor watching Voyager. Um, Which is the best way to watch Voyager, honestly. Yes. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. It's just not that good. It's not. (laughs) It's not. So anyway, the most obnoxious character on Voyager is Neelix. A hundred percent. And in this episode, I I can't really tell you what else was happening in the episode, but I woke up to Tuvok choking Neelix. (laughs) And I was like, so do they know? Do they know that Neelix is Jar Jar Binks? (laughs) They must know. Because why else would they have Tuvok strangle him? So I guess you've never seen the episode where a transporter combines Tuvok and Neelix into a single organism called Tuvix. No. Ugh. Ugh. All right. (laughs) But I promise you guys that we are actually going to talk about good Star Trek. And we're going to talk about other science fiction as we go down this road. Battlestar Galactica. Kat has never seen Battlestar Galactica. It's true. I have not. I know that there are things called Cylons. And um, I know that the president is a lady. And sort of. They're on like a Death Star? Mm, well, so. It's a ball. It's a. Mm, I mean, it's like a. Yeah. Okay. Um, but okay, so don't give them too many points for making the president a lady because what had happened was um, everyone dies and she's the Secretary of Education. <laughs> So, can't you imagine everybody in time <laughs> and all of a sudden the president is Betsy DeVos? <laughs> well, yes, I can because that is what happened in Battlestar Galactica. Okay, um, so yeah, I mean, so she she's a like legit great president, but don't give them too many points for like you know They're being right. progressive because. It's just like designated survivor. Like, right. you're the one we hate the most. You right. don't have to come to the State of the Union. Fuck, Kat. Like, Battlestar Galactica is so good. Right. Okay, okay, okay. So we're going to do Battlestar Galactica. We're going to do it next, okay? But we are starting with Star Trek Picard. And I am so excited for this. And I want to tell you why. Can I tell them why? Yes, please Okay. Do. So 
I grew up as a kid watching Star Trek The Next Generation, and I have such vivid memories of coming home from school, and I think it came on at like 4.30 or 5 o'clock on like the local Fox affiliate, totally syndicated, and my brother and I would lay on our parents' hideous carpet and watch the show and just be totally fascinated by it. As a young girl, I was, of course, totally in love with Wesley Crusher because he was just so delicate and pretty. I didn't understand things like sex or penises at at that young of an age. It wasn't about Commander Riker. I mean, it is now. (laughs) It is always about. But, you know, as as a girl of the tender age of 10, you look for non-threatening men. Which definitely would have been young Wesley Crusher. I mean, I want Commander Riker to threaten me. <laughs> I want to be in the middle of a Commander Riker and Ash Tyler sandwich. And all of our listeners probably right now are like, I thought these whores were feminists. No, no, we are. Um, actually, so that's uh, that's a good point that I yeah. wanted to address with you, Kat. Because, um, and I'm sorry I keep interrupting your uh, desire to get into no, the actual topic. No, So... We are planning at some point in this episode to play Fuck, Mary Kill. And in order to do that, um, it's sort of like objectifying men. So I was going to ask you, do you think that that game uh, in this context is problematic mm. from a feminist perspective? You know, the question is, is it really okay to objectify anybody ever? And my probably problematic take on it is that objectification is fine when it's done in a fun and lighthearted way that does not detract from the the fact that the person you're objectifying is an entire person. I feel like when women tend to be objectified, that's all that they are. They're just completely reduced to whatever characteristics are going into the objectification. They're never seen beyond that. As opposed to if we play a fun game of fuck, marry, kill, if we're talking about these male characters as male characters, as people, as humans with good and bad qualities and throwing a little lighthearted sexy times at the end, I think we're okay. Okay, so if I'm understanding what you're saying. Because I'm queer. So if you are, that's that's point <laughs> If we're talking about like my inappropriate love for Commander Riker mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, but do you love Commander Riker season one or Commander Riker season two? where the only difference between them is the sexy beard. <laughs> That's not true. He matures. He did. No, but I am a season one girl. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Because yeah. season one is the worst season. Really? Code of honor. I have no idea what that means. Ooh, okay. But wait, wait, wait. Okay. So, so, so here's my take on it. Um, so Kat and I are different kinds of feminists. Um, I'm not a third wave feminist. Uh, I'm, I think probably what colloquially would be referred to as a feminazi. So (laughs) when I think about whether or not we are objectifying men in the context of fuck, marry, kill, I would say no, because you can't oppress the oppressor. And I think I probably just made myself the, if anyone is listening to this, (laughs) the villain of this show. I hope someday someone listens because the hate mail will be amazing. You can't send us hate mail because we don't have an email address for the podcast yet. Fuck you. <laughs> but anyway, so back to why I love Star Trek The Next Generation, because I have these really wonderful memories of growing up watching that show. Unfortunately, my parents um, have long since passed away. 
But I remember them being in the room while I was watching. And, you know, my dad would make dad jokes about the show and my mom would be cooking in the kitchen. You know, she would come in and she would make comments about the show. And all I have to do is lay on my couch and turn on Netflix and turn on an episode of that show. And I'm instantly transported back to my childhood, back to that living room, back to my dad's corny jokes about Captain McCard and Wesley Crusher. And it's, it's just like a wonderful feeling. So why are you doing this podcast? Uh, well, (laughs) (laughs) no, you didn't make me, um, as I imagine many people would think is typical of a feminazi. Um, I don't have a lot going on in my life and (laughs) I, um, am in desperate need of intellectual stimulation. Um, so thinking critically about fiction, I think qualifies as one of those things. I love science fiction across the board. I love horror. I love fantasy. I love dystopian fiction. Um, I love speculative fiction. And I am hoping that um, eventually I can derail this podcast into those things. Oh, I'm here for it. Okay, cool. Okay, good. Um, I wasn't huge into Star Trek growing up. <clears throat> In fact, the I started watching Star Trek because you loved it so much. Um, what did you have in your office? A Batlet. Yes. I still have it in my office. <laughs> I was like, all right, this girl I know at work has this uh, weapon in her office and it seems pretty bad. Uh, so I'm going to, you know. Anyway. You stare clear her. So I had my tonsils out and they give you a lot of opiates uh, yeah. when you have your tonsils out. It really hurts. So for about two weeks, I was out of work and in and out of an opiate-induced haze. And during that period of time, I watched all of uh, The Next Generation. So yeah, so sometimes when you talk about TNG stuff, I'm going to know what you're talking about. But the vast majority of time, I'm going to have no idea. Well, ask me, my child, and I shall teach you. That is probably something everyone should know going in is that Kat has a basically eidetic memory about everything related to Star Trek. It's so. my worst quality. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's All right. get into it then. Season one, episode one of Star Trek Picard Remembrance. So we open this episode on some very pretty space shots to the strains of blue skies, which if you are a Star Trek fan, means that you subjected yourself to the complete and utter mediocrity that was the movie Nemesis. And therefore, it's got to be seared into your memory that Dana sang blue skies at Riker and Troy's wedding. Cat, like this is what I'm talking about exactly. What? What do you mean? I've never seen Nemesis, so fucking spoiler alert, dude. I mean, that's really <laughs> the crux of the entire movie. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Wow. All right. Well, now that I've ruined Nemesis for staff, her life will improve. <laughs> so we push in on the saucer section of the Enterprise D, which is interesting because when Data died, they were on the Enterprise E, but eh, you know, whatever. Data died? How did you not pick that up from watching the first episode of the show? Data is dead. Uh, but did he die in TNG? He died in Nemesis. Oh, fuck. So I really do have to see it. They kind of have to fuck. watch it. It's all right. parties in it. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. We can objectify him later. Yeah, we can. All right. We meet Jean-Luc Picard in this scene. He Wait, is... I'm so sorry. I have, <laughs> I have another question. Okay. Does, does Nemesis take place after TNG ends? Yes. And before what next series? Um, I don't really think it. Yeah, because all of the other series, I mean, so Star Trek and Deep Space Nine and Voyager are all kind of roughly in the same time period. Right. Nemesis is the last movie that's made in the timeline of Star Trek. So the next series would be Picard. So Picard is set like 30-ish, 
25-ish years after the events of Nemesis. And do I actually, like, need to know what happened in Nemesis in order to, like, understand what's happening in Picard? No, all you need to know is that Data died. Fuck. Data, Data died saving Picard. That's all you need to know. Okay. Literally well, all you need to know. And Tom Hardy is in it, and he's bald and wears a prosthetic nose. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so maybe we don't need to objectify Tom Hardy <laughs> Okay, see, this is the sort of stuff that you need context for because as I'm watching this first episode of Picard mm-hmm. and Picard is talking about how Data died for him, I'm like, wow, that's going to be really interesting to see um, when they flash back in some future episodes of this <laughs> happening because it hasn't happened yet. Um, it's not that interesting. Okay, well, you don't have to, don't spoil it anymore. Okay. Like, Riker and Troy get married, Data dies, like, I will fucking go watch the movie. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I will be there with you to hold your hands. So we meet John Lee Picard, all right? Now, he is noticeably older than the last time we've seen him. He's noticeably more soft-spoken. He's moving slower. So thank God they haven't used like crazy de-aging on him to get like that Irishman effect where it's like, I look 40, but I'm moving like a 70 year old. <laughs> we do we see. That. <laughs> Is that racist? <laughs> no, it's ages. <laughs> Listen, they can use de-aging technology to make somebody look younger. They cannot use de-aging technology to make them move, move younger. You get older, you slow down, your joints stiffen. It's a fact of life. I'm not saying, you know, it's just, it is what it is. No, it makes sense to me. I look forward to yelling at people to get the fuck out of my way because I'm old and slow. I do that now. <laughs> so anyway, not only do we have Jean-Luc Picard, but he's playing poker with Data. Now, Data, who of course is dead, but he's in the scene, he is digitally de-aged because obviously the thing with Data is he stays the same age forever. They could have given him a program that would just make him age, but they were like, no, we'll just make him look creepy and puffy. No, didn't they say uh, in the first episode of Picard, or maybe the second one before I fell asleep, um, (laughs) (laughs) that uh, Data's programming caused him to age, that that was part of his programming? I don't think so, but maybe. I don't know. We're going to have to watch it again and see. We're going to have to fact check you on that. I think you might have to. So back to the scene. Data asks Picard why he's stalling. Picard responds, I don't want the game to end. Data shows his hand, which is five queen of hearts. And then Mars goes, boom. You want to talk about the queen of hearts? I do. Okay. Okay. Because like deep analysis. Yes. What does it mean? Nobody knows. So there is a theory that I have seen on the interwebs. It is not my own theory, but I don't know who to credit it to, that the five, the, the five Queen of Hearts refers to the fact that maybe there are five female androids running around, which can't be the original amount of androids running around because as we're going to learn, they're, right. yeah, they're made in pairs. But if Dodge is dead, then maybe you have so... Well, I mean, okay, I guess we're spoiling it. If you- <laughs> <laughs> hope you've seen Sorry, this, hope you've seen past episode one. Um, but maybe there are five remaining female androids or synths as they're now called, which we'll get into in a little bit. It has to be something because it seems to me that the choice of five queen of hearts is a very deliberate choice. It is. Um, plus at the bottom of the deck is a king of hearts. Or I'm sorry, a king of diamonds. Um, Notice that. Obviously, they're the same suit color. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe, you know, if, if we're going with the theory that you just explained, they're all androids. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe the diamond is Data, who is like a special I like that. 
can't create him again. Right. Which I was also going to ask you about that because, like, where did he come from? Dr. Noonien Zoom created him. And he could only do it once? No. Data has a twin brother. Um, I think I, oh, I think I remember this. Um, he's evil, right? He is. He's so <laughs> evil. <laughs> is he is more evil Lore. I remember this. <laughs> and then he has another, there was a, an android that preceded Data and Lore that's called B4. Which is a nemesis, and he's like a very rudimentary type oh, of android. Oh, the drawer. Yeah, that's the okay. drawer. Okay. 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 So, um, to get like really, really deep into serious feminist analysis, can we talk about the fashion? We can. Okay. We can definitely talk about the fashion. So, TNG had everything about TNG was notoriously and disgustingly 80s inspired. It was, and yes, the series started in 87, but they never really updated it. I mean, it was the 80s on steroids. The walls in the quarters were like padded pink. The bedspreads were like silver lame. It was basically like everything that in the 80s we thought we thought science fiction was going to be. The fashion was just awful. It was these really elaborate hairstyles, like updos with crazy braids and things like that. And then the fashion, especially that the women would wear, and this went on like well into the mid 90s, would be like these opaque colored tights, weird shoulder pads, asymmetrical hat. And it, it, it was just like cartoonishly bad. And it was more cartoonish than actual 80s fashion was. Fast forward to a show that they're making today in the 21st century, and like literally all of the outfits that the humans are wearing on Earth like look like shit I have in my closet right now. Um, that is because we are in fact fashionable. Um, <laughs> Sitting here with our black ladies. Because <laughs> we didn't want to wear real clothes today. Yeah, I'm wearing an entire outfit from uh, Fabletics. It is not one of our sponsors. We don't have sponsors because <laughs> nobody knows we exist. So, Fabletics, enjoy your free advertising. I am wearing a sweaty Betty leggings. Oh. Yeah, British brands. Okay. It's sales. Yeah, I- and a t-shirt that says Mesa Verde because I went there once and piped. I like it. Thank you. Um, I actually am. Um, I told my friend this before I came over today. Uh, she is a very tiny human and looks very attractive in everything. Mm. And I literally saw her wearing this exact outfit <laughs> with this necklace. And I'm like, holy shit, I am single white femaleing Emily. Which is funny <laughs> because you're not white. No. <laughs> <laughs> and if my daughter were here right now, she'd tell you that it's not nice to copy people. <laughs> and I called her and I'm like, oh my, oh my God. Um, so anyway, I guess uh, – Copying someone is like the best form of, I, there's some fancy saying. But it's the worst thing that you can do when you're five. It is the worst thing. Well, actually, it's the worst thing you can do well into your teens. Well, that's true, too. Yeah. I used yeah. to be very upset when people listen to the same music I listen to. <laughs> do you remember, because we talked about the women's fashion and the next generation, do you remember the men's fashion? Um, only the super fucking awkward, massive v-necks. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> like... Every single time a man would appear on screen in loungewear, it was like, hope you bitches like chest hair because, (laughs) and occasionally a nip because it was just all hanging out. But they were kind of provocative. They were, especially because the people who were wearing them was basically Picard, who, you know, he's like old man hot, and uh, Riker, who is just, just hot. 
So, you know, in a way, you have to give TNG credit for being a very progressive show because it was inviting you to objectify both the men and the women. I don't ever recall uh, feeling male gazy about any of the women on TNG. Well, I guess with Deanna Troy with her little cat suit and everything like that. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah she had big hair. Yeah, yeah. she did have Oh, and she was like, really feminine and not offensive. Oh, oh, yeah, that's a lot. This is problematic. Okay, you're, we'll you're, back to that. you're really going to have to like rethink your whole conception of Deanna Troy. Cause I mean, as a kid, I was like, I like her cause she's pretty. And now I watch and, and she's got some cool stuff at the end of the series, but it's kind of like, uh, yeah. 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 All right. But anyway, so yes, this was all a dream. Okay, and Picard is waking up in his bedroom, which appears to be like a hipster Soho loft that's been transported into his vineyard. Lots of exposed brick, so much exposed brick. And we see that his real life loungewear, his non-dream loungewear, still includes V-necks, but they are much smaller. So I, I think I need to point this out. Um, mm-hmm. We, uh, Kat and I took some notes uh, in order to uh, do this first episode. Copious notes. We, we don't really know what we're doing. No. Um, but in our notes, we, we were talking about the Queen of Hearts hand, and then we talk about how Mars explodes. <laughs> and I feel like that was probably going to be a point that would have required more talking. <laughs> we had lost over the fact that the whole planet explodes and talked about, like, fictional theory. <laughs> so... so. In one of the newer Star Trek movies, so it's the newer Star Trek movie that rebooted the whole series of new Star Trek movies. Which, by the way, I love the reboots. Yeah, they're pretty good. So in, and maybe it wasn't the first, I don't know. Full disclosure to our listeners, my comprehensive knowledge of all things Star Trek does not extend to the original series and really does not extend to reboots of the original series and also i never watched enterprise because like scott bacula might have been really good on 21 jump street but not as a captain i just could not get into that but hold on you're going to commit right oh obviously because like if we're going to do this podcast we need to dig deep no we absolutely and i actually have seen the original series oh okay but it it was the same sort of thing where it's like yeah in one ear and out the other um in one of those movies there is a romulan who I guess comes back from the future. I'm not really clear on this. But anyway, he he comes from somewhere where his Romulan son exploded and he's mad because Spock had something to do with it somehow. Um, and so it does tie back with this concept that the Romulan son did explode and was known to have exploded. And then an alternate timeline is created where it didn't, ex- didn't explode. And that's the timeline that those movies take place in. But when you go further into Star Trek Picard, you will see that, yes, they, they did know they had some prior knowledge that the sun was going to explode. And in fact, they were like evacuating people knowing that the sun was going to go supernova. So, well, because I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Um, like the I guess the, the problem with that and I, I'm curious to see how they're going to address it, but like. Presumably, you know, people who are into Star Trek, everyone always talks about like techno babble and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Like most, a lot of these people like care mm-hmm. about science, sure. you know, um, when a sun, as far as I understand, when it's going to go supernova, you get like a few billion years. <laughs> so like the Romulan sun wouldn't have just suddenly, um, you know, 
everyone's like, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) They they wake up one morning, they're like, the sun looks red and small. Yeah. Yeah. So so I wondered about that. Like, did something occur to cause the sun to explode such that they did not have a billion years advance notice? Oh, we're going to have to go back and watch that movie. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. That's fine. So moving on in the series in the episode, we then cut to the very futuristic looking greater Boston metropolitan area where everything looks like Times Square. So, I mean, hideous. And the entire size of buildings have advertisements on them, including an advertisement for FNN, which we later are going to learn is the Federation News Network. Um, It gave me a little bit of a heart attack because my first thought when I saw that was like, holy shit, it's the 24th century Fox News is still going (laughs) strong. Which, I mean, is obviously out of the question because Fox News is dying. It's going to be one American news network in the 24th century. Any minute now. All all hosted by that Augustus Soul Invictus. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Stephanie. Yes. Do we think that Federation News Network is state-run TV? Um, I think that you have some very compelling arguments for why it is, in fact, state-run TV. Yeah. Um, especially because I think some of uh, what happens in this interview is foreshadowing that the Federation is maybe not as, um, what would be the word I'm looking for here? Uh, Altruistic. Right. Yeah. As, as we would think. Although, honestly, I don't think it is. Um Based on, I mean, if you really kind of look at the series as a whole, mm-hmm. the crime directive is always getting violated. No, I totally, totally. Um, and uh, they have like their weird CIA branch. Section 31. That fucking does crazy ass shit all yeah, the time. It does. Yeah, so like, you know, I think it's one of those things where it's a little dystopian, even though yeah. it's not presented that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, go ahead. No, I mean, I, th- I think that it might be state run TV, and we'll get into some of the reasons that I think that is as we go down the line. So, we next push into an apartment. We have a young lady and her boyfriend who is a Zahian. They are sitting there making eyes at each other. Okay, so is this a race they made up for, or species that they made up for this show, or did we have Zahians before? Yeah, they appear in Star Trek Discovery. Okay. That girl with the Hawaiian name, Poe, the one that likes ice cream, she is a Zahian. So I have actually seen Discovery and actually paid attention, and I do not remember that. <laughs> So I'm concerned. <laughs> what is wrong with my brain? <laughs> life. Life is what's wrong with our brains. <laughs> now, this Zahian has nictitating eyelids, which I find incredibly creepy because things with eyes creep me out. Like, it literally took me years to work with the courage to put a contact lens in my eye. Okay. I can trace this back to a young adult television series that appeared in, I would say, maybe the early 90s called Erie, Indiana where there was an episode where children were being kidnapped and like turned into zombie kids or like perfect kids. They made a movie that was kind of like this and they were like getting ready to drill into one of the kids' eyes. And it just really made an impression on me. I remember that TV show because I was into all that like creepy shit, like Mm -hmm. Pete Pete and yeah. Yeah. Petunia. Anyway, yeah, I don't even like putting contacts in my eyes. I don't like putting eye drops in my eyes. I would never ever get LASIK. I would, I, I would have to be like totally going blind to get LASIK because, oh my god, shoot laser beams into my eyes. Are you fucking crazy? But anyway, so that's kind of creepy. But we learn that this young woman is named Dodge, and they are celebrating her acceptance to the Daystrom Institute. So I wouldn't call the Daystrom Institute like a deep cut of Star Trek lore because it's definitely mentioned several times in The Next Generation, always as this kind of like 
research hubs slash academic institutions slash, you know, theoretical place of invention. Did data came from this institute? No, he did not. Uh-huh. Data was um, created by, I guess you could call him a rogue scientist on the planet Omicron Theta. He did not come from Daystrom. I think I've heard that name before. Yeah, it's been raised in a couple of TNG episodes. Leah Brahms, who was the designer of the Enterprise D's warp engines and all-around badass bitch. Do not recall her. Oh my god. <laughs> she is amazing. She is like, if Star Trek had a feminazi character, it would be her. Okay. Yeah. I'm into it. She does not tolerate Jordi LaForge's creepy shit. Really? Well, Jordi LaForge is a creeper. I mean, of course, they marry them off in the end because, oh, you know, God. 80s and 90s. Oh. Yeah, okay. but I mean, she is, she's pretty awesome. So anyway, this party does not last long because into the apartment beam a bunch of motorcycle helmeted ninjas. One throws a dagger straight into the Zahian's chest and that is a serious rap on Dodge's boyfriend. He never even gets a name. <laughs> We are five minutes into the episode and we already have the violent death of a man we barely knew, which will serve to propel forward the story arc of a woman. Congratulations, Star Trek Picard. You have already flipped the women in refrigerators trope and I like it. I'm here for it. Do you want to explain to our audience what is the women in refrigerators trope? Yes, I will. Okay. So um, actually, uh, I kind of got stuck in the deep web on this one, <laughs> but um, the idea came from some fans of uh, comic books uh, way back when in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's a long time ago. Yesterday. Yeah. Um, for only us. I know. Um, anyway, so they noticed that there were a lot of plot lines in comic books um, and other fiction where the story is progressed by the death of a, a female character that otherwise didn't have any uh, substance. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so basically, like, can you replace female character with a dead sexy lamp, for example? <laughs> um, anyway, so that has uh, the the people that came up with this um, made a website and um, listed like all of the different TV shows, comic books or whatever, where this trope appears um, and it actually kind of changed the culture of like nerdy fiction um, because then artists, comic book artists and people who make TV shows are kind of like, hey, we do kind of sort of always have like a woman yeah. stuff in the refrigerator. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Um, so I, I, I personally thought this was an interesting uh, turn of events. I, I thought it was too. Does it last? No. We will discuss. <laughs> it does not last. So these motor ninjas grabbed on. And they start talking about whether or not she has activated yet. They ask her, where are the rest of you? Where are they from? They destroy her glass table, RAP glass table, because in Star Trek, no glass table is safe. Like people are always (laughs) getting smashed through glass tables. She's really genuinely terrified. I mean, this actress, Isa, Isa Briones or Isa Briones, she really sells it. She's really good. They put a bag over her head and uh, she uh, activates and she <laughs> did she do it yet did she do it yet oh shit we, yeah we she activated and, didn't do it and she just fucking takes out all these people out blind i mean we get another glass table biting the dust it is totally <laughs> awesome there's two glass tables in the room i think there were <laughs> there has to always be more than one glass table because i mean obviously right yes um so every single time i see a woman kick ass the way that happened in this episode it makes me want to go and take some like martial art 
Um, making me feel like such a bad feminist because I'm like, I want to go take a bar class. And then you're like, oh, I want to punch some men in the dick. <laughs> well, but I actually did it once and getting hit really hurts. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, oh, okay. Like, I can picture myself being like a super badass. Um, but then, like, ouch. So, so you, didn't, never, you yeah. didn't immediately become a ninja after no, you took proper No, surprisingly, it doesn't happen quickly. You have to like put effort mm, uh, into it. Yeah. You don't just activate. Right, right. that's so. too bad. Right. So anyway, she takes the bag off of her head. She sees her dead boyfriend. He looks like he's got like some orange blood going on. So that's kind of cool. She really clearly has no idea what the fuck has just happened. And then she has a vision of Jean-Luc Picard. So we get the credits, um, which are very anti-Star Trek. So you have like your traditional Star Trek credits where it's, you know, footage of the ship, footage of the station, and just names. And then you have kind of like your enterprise forward credits, which are like blueprints and schematics and historical um, methods of transportation. And this is totally different. We get this like abstract broken shard and it kind of floats. It's very much like the feather in Forrest Gums, just going through different scenes of Picard's life. We get the vineyards of the chateau. We get a pork cube that's been partially destroyed. We see a little 3D polygon and it splits into two 3D polygons. And then it looks like it's DNA strands of polygons. And I presume that that's the fractal neuronic cloning technique that we will learn more about in this episode. <laughs> I mean, it's not looks cool. Um, um, it kind of reminded me of the opening of um, Westworld. Yeah, it did. Yeah. It's it's very Westworldy. It's very angsty. It's very zeitgeisty. It's very Billie Eilish. Um, um, do we like it? I don't have strong feelings about it, but I definitely was getting analysis paralysis about <laughs> the shards coming off of Picard's face. Yeah, what does it mean? So I I have kind of a guess as to what it means, but. It relates to something that you're going to see several episodes in, and you haven't gotten that far, so put a pin in it. You're going to spoil me like you did for Nemesis. I know. No, I ruined your life. I'm not going to do that again. (laughs) Okay, so it does mean something. It does. I I mean, I have a theory. I can't tell you. Okay. Okay. So we're back to the vineyard. All right. And we meet Picard's employees. Can you even call them employees since there's no money in the 24th century? I mean, clearly, like, they live there. They do what he says. So. There's no money in the 21st century? No. Oh, my God. Have you not seen First Contact? There is no money in the no, 24th I've never century. Seen, I've never seen First Contact. Oh, my God. My five-year-old has seen First Contact. What the <laughs> fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> I mean, no. What's wrong with me? I let a five-year-old watch First Contact. Um, I've but... only seen the reboots. I haven't seen any of the other movies. I, I mean, to, honestly, I heard we, they want I, I think what we're going to do is we're going to finish recording this we're going to go out to dinner and eat our indian fusion we're going to pick up a bottle of something and then we're going to come back and we're going to watch a couple of episodes of this and then maybe we're going to do some first contact so anyway we meet laris and javon they are romulans and what's interesting is they look far less cartoony than the old tng romulans like the old tng romulans had like these mo haircuts like really aggressive eyebrows, right? Yeah, and and some of, some of the Romulans that you'll see still have that haircut. Um, so clearly, it's like a trend that for some people didn't die. Um, I mean, kind of like you see, you know, I don't know, like somebody who still got like the curly hair with the straight bangs these days. Like a um, who's that Fundy on that show? Twenty Kids and Counting. 
Oh, I didn't watch TV like that. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's 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 like I think it's meant to come off as like a dated hairstyle now. Some people have grown out of it. So um, kind of like a mullet. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. like a mullet. It's like it the mullet of the 24th point. century. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Laris again has this like very trendy on point outfit. She's got skinny pants, curse us all. That's clearly a trend that's here to stay for 100 years in the future. But <laughs> making a surprising return to 24th century fashion, mock necks. I do enjoy those. And horseshoe hair for balding men. See, so when you said that, I didn't know what you meant. Okay. So horseshoe hair is like when a man has male pattern baldness and so they're going bald on the top but they still have like the horseshoe ring of hair on the back and the sides okay um the trend right now is for dudes to just like embrace the baldness and shave their head um but not javon he's still (laughs) rocking that horseshoe okay 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 and they're really cool like we immediately fall in love with them they obviously need their own spin-off series um in the Picard prequel comics and I'm not spoiling anything and then later on we're going to learn that Laris and Jaban are actually former Tal Shiar yeah do you well, know what the Tal Shiar are only because I paid attention I think in the second episode before <laughs> I fell asleep but they're basically like Romulan black ops right so yeah so but they're, 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 they're kind of like, like the Romulan they're like a Romulan intelligence agency yeah basically. so they're like the Romulan section 31 yeah absolutely yeah. okay um, or maybe not, as we continue to learn. So oh, yes, they're because they're dead. guarding a secret. Well, the Javash are guarding a secret, but we're not there. We're okay, not there. Okay. So, okay. So Picard is getting ready to give an interview. It's the anniversary of the Romulan supernova, the one that we didn't see coming. And <laughs> there's a, <laughs> someone said Fox News, there's an FFN crew setting up in his home. We learn that Picard has insisted that the reporter not ask him why he loves Starfleet. So you know that's going to go well. And the reporter is wearing this, like, pale pink skirt suit. And I'm like, bitch, I know that trick. That is a (laughs) trick that I have used in many a deposition where I have dressed in a very non-threatening way. Um, You know, I'll wear, like, I don't know, like a little sleeveless dress. With, like, pussy bow. (laughs) (laughs) So many pussy bows. So many pussy bows. Or like a cardigan twin set and a headband, which will forever be known in my mind as the Dahlia de Polito. <laughs> Google it. Google it if you haven't heard about it. Google it. Um, but that, that, that is something that um, sometimes being a woman and being underestimated is, is fun. You can play with that. It's a tool in the tool chest. It is. It is. So, you know, she's clearly like wanting Picard to think that she's a nice, non-threatening lady here to do a softball interview in her cute little pink suit. I do have something to throw in on that. Yes. Um, okay. So although I'm like a feminazi, I'm mm-hmm. really into makeup. Ooh, me too. Yeah. Oh, well, you should see more shirts. I just bought <laughs> Yeah, I spent a lot of money on face care. Um, Anyway. Anyway. So the makeup situation at this interview is like, can we please stop working on whatever techie, sciencey stuff? Like, are we trying to travel to other planets? We need to put that down for a second and invent the flicky thing that just changes her makeup instantly. Exactly. Like, totally into it. You know, we're spending all of our energy on, like, going back to the moon and boner pills. Like, <laughs> we've been to the moon, and we've seen all of your There's events. enough boners. <laughs> Let's get flicky wand makeup applications. Flicky wand makeup for everybody. 
save all my money that I spend at Ulta and Sephora like Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So anyway. Anyway. State-run media. So they're yeah. So they're doing this interview. She's making Dunkirk references. I don't know what Dunkirk is, except that there was a movie about Dunkirk, and I think it like I don't even know. We'll see. So I watched the movie. I, I looked this up. Ah. Okay. Uh, I knew one of us would be smart. Well, so I felt a little. I mean, I knew vaguely that it had some shit to do with World War Two. Right. Um, no, I think it's I, World War One, isn't it? No, World War Two. Oh, oh. Yeah. Um, I felt a little ashamed having been a history major and enjoying history just generally that mm-hmm. I, I couldn't pull this information out of my brain. Um, but it was uh, arguably a turning point in World War II where the Allied forces uh, conducted a massive campaign to rescue, um, I think it was like 300,000 troops. Yeah, 338,000 okay. troops from France. Um, so when he's saying, you know, if I had to think back to 400 years ago and compare it to something, it would be this thing that happened in World War II. Um, but anyway, yeah, so that's what that is. Oh, okay. We should see the movie, though, I we, feel like. We should see the movie. I feel like Star Trek never refers to something unless it's going to become significant in some other way. Ah, okay. Um, and my understanding is that Dunkirk was uh critical because of how the access powers uh reacted to it interesting essentially they allowed it to happen or at least that's that's the speculation so i wonder if that somehow fits into some other aspect of this narrative that we don't know yet we're totally gonna have to watch that movie all right or like read a book whatever (laughs) (laughs) in case you were wondering steph definitely is the person that you're like you have to go watch the movie and she's like yeah i'll read the book So we learn now for the first time that before the Romulan sun go boom, Starfleet (laughs) and Picard were leading a rescue mission, but that a group of rogue synthetics destroyed their shipyards. The shipyards are outside of Mars or on Mars. Um, The name of the shipyards is Utopia Planitia, which is cool. The rescue vessels were all being constructed there. And then after this place was destroyed, Starfleet was like, Romulan rescue! like a hassle <laughs> very larry david I, I imagine they're still making larry david references in the 24th century <clears throat> um well i that i i know we're gonna put the state-run media thing to bed because we've been beating it like a dead horse um but i think that that fact that um the way that this is being framed mm-hmm. is well they were our enemies why on earth would we help them right is very anti like Federation Starfleet like you know that that's not what you would expect Starfleet to do at least not the TNG Starfleet um, right so I think that that um, is a little bit of after the fact reframing you know you do something bad as a society or government you mm-hmm. have to justify it in some way so I have to do something bad here okay. I have to go back to Nemesis again oh my god <laughs> <laughs> more spoilers. <laughs> No, I mean, so at, at the end, the whole thing with Nemesis is like it kind of sets up a path for the Romulans and the Federation to maybe not necessarily become allies, but to reach some kind of detente. Okay. So, which I think is important to know that it when we last left off, they were kind of moving that way. Right. You know, and All so. All the more reason why we would not leave them to. It, exactly. To exactly. Right. So. One of the things that I picked up here is we have a really noticeable shift in this series from the term android, which is the word that was always used to describe data in the next generation, to the term synthetic. 
which you really have to wonder when did they change the terminology? Um, I don't think it was changed after the fact because we will see them being referred to as synthetics in a later episode before Mars exploded. But the term android literally means a humanoid robot. Synthetic is a much more general term. You know, you have synthetic fabrics, you have synthetic artificial intelligence, you have, you know, synthetic um, uh, products. And I just kind of wonder at what point in time the Federation or human culture in general switched to the term synthetic. Were they trying to change the narrative around androids to get them to be seen as less human? So that's interesting um, because, and again, I don't, because I fell asleep during the second episode. So I, they had kind of all. We're going to fix that. <laughs> We're going to fix that. Um, but when they uh, show us a little bit of what happened when the synthetics uh, made the Mars go boom, mm-hmm. um, the people at the shipyard, I guess it is, um, are talking about this robot and how creepy he is. Right. Um, and how they wish that they would make them, I think, less human so that it would be less creepy. Like if they were more machine robotic as opposed to like a creepy human. (laughs) What do you think the casting call read (laughs) when they were trying to cast that android? Like, are you the human personification of the Uncanny Valley? If you are, come audition for this role. You know, Data was a very special android. And and it's like the whole thing that Data's um, uniqueness and the science behind him has never been able to be replicated. So clearly when they built this army of synthetics, they were built as a labor force. They did not have the personality or adaptability that Data did. To be honest, I would say that they even went so far as to make them extra creepy. They really did. They really did. Yeah. To prevent you from getting attached to these people. Well, they're not people, you know? So it's like, you know, if we need to send somebody to their death to go repair something critical, like we're not going to send George in maintenance. We're going to send F8. Right. And we're not going to miss him because he fucking creeped us out. Right. Right. And we cruelly make fun of him as he walks away. He can hear us. He can hear us. <laughs> That's why Mars went boom. Yep. Be nicer, people. Be nicer. Be nicer to your robots be nicer to sense <laughs> yes so anyway the reporter finally asks the money question jean-luc picard why did you leave starfleet and oh no but they had they told him not to ask that i know that's so weird it's so weird it's so weird that when and they promised they wouldn't picard goes full mike pompeo <laughs> Oh, we didn't we didn't record this as like as, as early as we thought. So yes, that reference is a couple of weeks old now. Um, in case it's not <laughs> apparent, based on how this conversation has gone, we are both disgusting liberals. Oh my god, like, I mean, really bad. Rip disgusting my liberals. heart out of my chest and hold it while it bleeds. Yeah, like I am a giant fucking melting snowflake. I'm an ex conservative. How did I not know that about you? I'm questioning everything. Yeah. Is this reality? <laughs> I grew up in a household with parents who watched Rush Limbaugh on TV. And oh, okay. so I, I did not know that about yeah. you. Yeah. Um, and so I grew up being very, very conservative. You're so well adjusted. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like like a lot of people, as my parents got older and broadened their horizons and worldview, they too mellowed. Um, fun, fun fact, fun story. So 
one year I asked my parents for my birthday for a copy of Rush Limbaugh, um, some book that he had written. Holy fuck, dude. You were like really conservative. I know. And I wake up on my birthday and there's presents and I go to a present that's like very clearly a book and I open it up and it is a copy of Rush Limbaugh is a Big Fat Idiot by Al Franken. (laughs) And I look at my parents like, why would you do this to me? And my the stars align. And my dad looks at me and he basically was said words to the effect of you can't hold a worldview without having explored the other side. And like that was one of the formative moments of my childhood. Um it's a really funny book. <laughs> that is really cool. Yeah. It's like super evolved of your parents. Very super evolved of my parents. I so. can't say that I ever had a super evolved moment as a child. <laughs> Oh, I had a few. But anyway, so, all right. Full Mike Pompeo. You don't even know what Dunkirk is. Is the 24th century equivalent of find Ukraine on this blank map of the world that I just happen to have with me. I did think it was a little, like, mansplainy of Picard. Like, you don't even know this historical event. And granted, we did not know the historical event. But, <laughs> but like, don't assume we don't know. But, like, I would like to think that I, if I was a reporter reporting on galactic geopolitical events of the world, I would be up on my historical references. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, bullshit. Like, exactly. Like, don't. Take up so much space, Picard. It's not mansplaining. But what's interesting about this series is they really have gone to great lengths to deconstruct the narrative of Picard as like this swashbuckling crusading hero. They you do, know, yeah. he really does get knocked down a couple pegs and you feel for the guy, but then sometimes you're like, I don't know, I kind of have a point, you know? Well, so I did think that that was... Uh, it- we probably should mention this later on in the episode when we get to this part. I feel like at this point we've been talking for three hours and we're never going to get to it. <laughs> but um, there's a point where his age um, is really apparent. Yeah. And I think it's cool that they're leaning into it. I do too. Um, as opposed to like trying to pretend like it's still 20 years ago on the TV show. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I can't think of any other TV shows where the main character is like essentially an octogenarian. It, like that. You yeah, know, like exactly. It's still kind of like, he's still an action character, obviously. I mean, unless there's not going to be any more motorcycle ninjas, but. Don't think um, there will be. You know, but he's like struggling to mm-hmm. get through it. So. Yeah, no, he definitely is. Um, so I guess it's like a reverse Mike Pompeo because we're clearly supposed to align with Picard, whereas we are not supposed to align with Mike Pompeo um, because, you know, we have the Fox News Network and it's cartoon villain reporter. Right. So anyway. So the next day, Picard is like, Chilling in his chateau, drinking wine, much like I'm going to be doing in my newly renovated back patio that I just keep sitting here staring at because I love it so much. I have an egg chair now, you guys. It's amazing. He has a really good um, quote at this time that I think we should refer to. Okay, let's refer. No legacy is rich as honesty. Ooh. Seems really proverbial, right? It seems uh, very pertinent to the moment. Well... It's from a Shakespearean play. Oh. I did not know this. I okay. Googled, I used the Google. Okay. Um, all's well that ends well. Uh-huh. And so interestingly for our purposes, however, because um, you would hear that and you think like, oh, cool, like proverb. Um, but actually it's referring to how uh, a woman's virginity um, is really a worthwhile thing to maintain until marriage. So essentially it's referring, <laughs> it's referring to the value of uh, a woman's virginity. Um, 
So interesting. Yeah. Because like, what the fuck? Star Trek? <laughs> oh my God. Um, Somebody didn't do their research. Yeah. Like, couldn't you come up with like a proverby thing that wasn't like a weird double entendre in a Shakespearean? Play? I'm going to guess that they didn't know that. Well, I mean, it was literally the first hit on Google. <laughs> like, what does this mean? Oh, well. Okay. Well, I guess we're just learning more and more about Picard as we go forward. <laughs> oh, but, okay, so I, I since you didn't read my notes, I you. <laughs> no, I you did. Know. I just didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had this really amazing idea. Well, okay. I don't know if it's an amazing idea, okay. but I think we should do it. Um, so one thing that I've always really loved about Star Trek is that the characters will make references to things where I'm like, holy shit, you are really well-read and smart. And I'm not. Um, even though I'm okay well read, I'm not, I never know what they're talking about. They're always quoting some like Greek philosopher and I always have to Google it or whatever. I never know off the top of my head. So anyway, I think we should do like a side project where we do like Starfleet syllabus Ooh, and like, read through all the things that they reference. So, okay. so far in this episode, we would have to watch Dunkirk mm-hmm. or read a book about it. Mm-hmm. And we would have to read All's Well That Ends Well. Uh-huh. And I think that, I mean, unless we're just giving these people too much credit, um, I imagine that maybe some of the themes that come up in these things that are referenced will dovetail into themes of the show. So it might be able to, like, illuminate our analysis. I really hope we don't have to hear about Android virginity. Data doesn't have genitals, does he? Oh, honey. <laughs> He fucked Tasha Yar's brains out in the second episode. What? 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 Wait. He is fully functional. (laughs) Programmed in a variety of multiple techniques. Okay. So maybe I need to watch all of this TNG again. Because apparently I I didn't see any. I think you do. Okay. So Picard's just chilling at the chateau, quoting Shakespeare about lady parts. I don't think he knows that he's quoting Shakespeare about lady parts, but in fact he is. Okay. Petting his dog, as one does after they have gone full Mike Pompeo. And who shows up a dodge in this hooded cloak that I feel like I need in my life. Like, I am not by any means a gothically inclined person, but that cloak made me want to be like a vampire. So I totally am gothic. Like, I can't because given what we do for a living, you have to, like, be able to interact with people normally. But right. if I didn't have to interact with people on a daily basis, I would 100% be goth as fuck, <laughs> covered in tattoos. Um, I would. I do have bangs because I recently had a, a little mental health trouble. No big deal. But if I would make them the pointy bangs, you know what I'm talking about? The like Romulan bangs. No, because the rest of it would be really cool. I would switch off between like Betty Bang and Oh yeah. Okay, that that would be really cool. Yeah. Right. But okay, okay, so gone. Yes. So super into cloaks. Yeah. Wish that would become a thing and a cape into a cape. Right. Love a cape. And so she wants to know if Picard knows her. And he's like, and then she you know again I really like this actress she's really selling it she's tearfully telling him the story about how she goes like full Viggo Mortensen in a history of violence on these motorcycle ninjas um and Picard is like well I'll just make you some tea 
<laughs> like, you know, I mean, is, is that really the cure for everything in the 24th century? It's like, I just kicked a bunch of people's asses, even though I've never studied self-defense a day in my life. Have some real gray. Have some real gray. <laughs> so my initial reaction was really snarky because, you know, it's really silly to just make tea instead of to like go to the cops. But clearly, and that's another total avenue that we could go down, you know? Oh, yeah. We're definitely going to do some legal stuff. Yeah. Because clearly what Dodge needs now is to feel safe. And Picard on some level seems to know that. And as we as lawyers, particularly the the type of law that you and I have both practiced in our careers, um, and as women and as feminists know, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, going to the police does not make you feel safe. Right. You know, um, Picard just kind of seems to have an inherent, you know, sense that, like, she just needs to calm the fuck down. And who um, doesn't love Tiana? Yeah, no, exactly. And I think as we're going to talk about in future episodes, law enforcement in the 24th century is questionable. And I don't mean that in the sense of, like, they've progressively become more and more of a paramilitary organization. What I mean is that law enforcement seems to be, to some extent, not as pervasive as it is today. We do know that Starfleet has some rather unique procedures for conducting criminal investigations. We have seen some episodes, particularly in Deep Space Nine, where martial law was declared in a state of emergency and Starfleet military police were all over Earth. But we really don't know a whole lot about non-military policing on Earth, or even if there is non-military policing on Earth, which I will cycle back to when we review episode two. So Dodge has this like hideous looking QVC-style necklace that is literally just two circles joined together. It's like a Venn diagram. But it clearly means a lot to her, and it kind of seems to spark something in Picard. So they put Dodge up at the chateau for the night, hope she got one of the exposed brick rooms, and (laughs) Picard has another dream. And this time it's a dream of Data painting a picture of a woman in Dodge's cloak, and she's standing near an ocean. Picard wakes up from what looks like a really nice nap. I'm a big fan of naps. I never get naps. And we see that Picard has a really similar painting hanging on his wall, except in the painting in the wall... The woman's face is turned away. In the painting that Data was painting in the dream, her face is turned toward the viewer. So Picard goes to the Starfleet Quantum Archives, which is like a giant walk-in safe deposit box. And he pulls out the painting from the dream. Um, We should talk about how cute that it is in there because it's got like all of his old memorabilia. It's got his Captain Picard day banner. It's got some Klingon weaponry. See, I knew that the stuff in there would make some sense to you. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, I knew I was supposed to feel right, but I, right. don't, I don't have like a fact. I, I, the, the Captain Picard day thing is really cute. That's, and it's interesting that he would save that because the whole thing with Picard is like, he doesn't like children's, but that was obviously made by kids for him. He doesn't like children? That, so that was this whole thing in season one where it was like... Oh, because like Wesley made him feel weird? Well, I mean, Wesley makes everybody feel weird. <laughs> Unless you're a 10-year-old girl, he makes you feel a different kind of weird. Um... <laughs> But it was the whole thing of like, Starfleet is giving me a ship with children on it and I don't feel comfortable with children. And there's a later... Oh, because 
Enterprise has families. Right, on it. Okay. right. Okay. Picard never had kids of his own. There is a later episode where Picard gets basically the 24th century equivalent of stuck in an elevator with three kids. And he really has to like overcome his uncomfortableness with kids to get them out of the situation safely. And so I guess you could consider that a turning point in his relationship with children. It's not really played that way, but he does seem better around kids after that happens. Not to sidetrack us, but as we're talking. This whole podcast is a sidetrack. Yeah, it is. I'm sorry about that. Like Kat's doing, Kat has this whole like note thing and it's like super well, and I'm just derailing her. No, it's fine. <laughs> so last night, again, as I was uh, falling asleep to Voyager, mm-hmm. Voyager is fucking weird. Uh, <laughs> in this episode, I forget which two characters, it was a female character who's kind of a badass. Oh, the captain. Duh. Okay. Like, okay. <laughs> Hey, do you want to hear a fun fact about Captain Janeway? I would love to. Captain Janeway and I share the same spelling of our first name, very unique spelling of the name Catherine, and our month and day of birth. Really? Yes. I do love me some Captain Janeway. She's pretty cool. Not super into her hair. I it gets like better. Does it? It gets better. She gets a bob. Oh, good. Because I'm mm-hmm. in season two. I'm not digging the hair. Yeah. But, oh, that's very unfeminist of us. <laughs> no, that's not true because we've been talking about Riker's beard. <laughs> Okay, we're good. All right. So um, anyway, in this episode, I think her and Paris, like Paris, uh, some shit with a warp drive. They become salamanders. They They become salamanders. That is pretty much the encapsulation of Voyager. Yeah, Very strange right. show. So anyway. Yeah. Go so he goes to the Starfleet archives and he pulls out the painting from the dream. And this time it's complete. It's clearly of Dodge and it's titled Dun Dun Dun. dun, 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 dun. By the way, the Starfleet archives are manned or womaned by a holographic human called Index. And she is like, I got major Tilda Swinton vibes from this actress. She's actually my favorite character in the show so far. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So I hope right. that there's lots of having to go dig in the archives. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So we're back with Dodge, who's like, you know, running around in the rain and she FaceTimes her mom in air quotes because I do not believe this is her real mom. I am. I think it's questionable if this is even a real person. See, I disagree. Okay. Um, I think it's going to be like a whole Battlestar Galactica. Uh, we'll see. You haven't seen Battlestar Galactica. But I think it's going to be a whole Battlestar Galactica thing where it's like experimenting with mixed families. Oh, interesting. Okay. and humans. Okay. Um, and whether or not like humans can become right. attached to robots in the way that. Well, anyway. clearly mom knows what Dodge is because she tells her mom, someone is trying to kill me. And as many conversations with your parents start. Obviously. Mom's not unconcerned but she's like under concerned she's like oh yeah totally makes sense you need to do yeah she tells dodge get somewhere safe and dodge is like yeah i tried that and mom says go back to picard uh whoops because dodge never told her mom she went to picard and what's interesting is the facetime screen like glitches for a second and that's why i thought that it's not a real person 
because it was almost like a program had to reroute it. So like your GPS has to reroute oh, itself. Okay. And then she was like, of course you did, sweetie. Find the card. So <laughs> that's why I think mom is like kind of an AI. Because okay. okay, that makes sense. Not to spoil the episode for anybody listening, but Dodge is totally a sin. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't figure that out, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> nemesis all over again so dodge is like all right i'm gonna sit back and think about the card and then all of a sudden she like pulls up a fancy computer i i do like the computers in this version of star trek how they just kind of like appear appear i think totally almost there yeah we're almost there so she hacks some kind of system to locate the card at starfleet she meets up with him and she's like, I have weird powers now. She's like, I can track people and I have super hearing. And she seems kind of chill about it, especially since she's like, I don't know, maybe I have schizophrenia or like a TBI. And Picard's like, nah, you're a fancy robot. Yeah, like that whole interaction I thought was really, I mean, not to hate on anybody involved in the show, but like, I think it was a little bit of poor writing because she's like, I probably just had an adrenaline rush. And that's how I killed 18 motorcycle ninjas. I'm not a robot. No, that's silly. I used find my friends as opposed to like hacking a government database to track your physical location. But I mean, like what, what in your life could happen to you? Because I mean, you have memories going back to like when you were a very small child what in your life could possibly happen to you where you would actually consider the possibility that you are in fact a fancy robot short of like like on a daily basis i think about this <laughs> wait you don't no. what you don't constantly think about cartesian theories of life uh, nothing is real. I mean, I definitely, <laughs> I definitely have moments where I'm like, God, I wish that didn't happen. I hope that's some memory somebody implanted into me just for shits and giggles. But no, I have never considered the possibility that I am a fancy robot. Now, I have considered the fact that like life is just a giant simulation. Like, yeah, so, I mean, that's what I was okay. trying to refer right. to. Like, I mean, like, okay, I see what you're saying because. <laughs> Well, I guess I, I've never seen like the inside of myself. So I guess right. it's possible that I'm a fancy robot and I just don't know. And I'm not going to like cut my arm open and find out. Like, but even then, would you know? Because I mean, the robots on Westworld are like 3D printed, like they're flesh and blood. The oh, only yeah. thing that they have is like they have like pool balls in their heads that are their brains. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fuck. What yeah. if we are just fancy robots? What if we are just fancy robots? That is it. Episode. Help me access that <laughs> programmed in a variety of multiple techniques part of my programming. That's where I want to go. Also, the Krav Maga. Yes. Critical. All right. So, and find my friends. Yeah. How do I get activated? That's what I want to know. So, anyway, Picard has obviously put two and two together and he's figured out that data has spawned again. So, do you remember in TNG this one time that data was like, I made a daughter? So, you said that to me a couple days ago and no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he did. He made a robot and an android. And she did not make it because Data programmed her basically in in such a sophisticated manner. Yes, she was overcome by her feelings. Her feelings literally killed her. Okay. And and the way that I That's bullshit. I know. The way that I conceptualize it was was basically her software got too big for her hardware. 
that, you know, that the hardware frame that Data built was not designed to handle how evolved her software got. And it basically caused a cascade failure, which I had to Google to find out what it meant. And it basically means like one system leading to another, leading to another. So Dodge clearly does not want to hear that she is a fancy robot. She's like, no, let's go back to the schizophrenia. I'll take that. Would you rather discover that you're a schizophrenic or would you rather discover that you're an android whose childhood and te- or teenage memories are an implanted lie? I don't have any particular attachment to childhood or teenage memories, so <laughs> either one's fine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So lucky for her, their conversation is interrupted when Dodge senses that the motorcycle ninjas are back and she and Picard run up an awful lot of stairs for the 24th century. Like, what? what, what are you needing to get up all those stairs for? There aren't like floating platforms yet no i guess not and in another nice bit of trope of reversal dodge proceeds to kick ass on these motorcycle ninjas while picard kind of cowers in the background right yeah because he's an old man yep mm-hmm. and she kind of like drags him along yeah exactly he's like Which catching was, his breath to oh, get up the stairs so I, like, oh, no. I know okay so we do get to see that one of the assailants is a Romulan and we see that highlighting your receding hairline must be all the rage in Romulan men's coiffure these days because we get another horseshoe hairhead. And anyway, Dodge is about to shoot up one of these fools when he spits some kind of acid at her. He starts burning up, Dodge starts burning up, the disruptor she's holding starts burning up and then she goes, boom, series wrap on Dodge. So why do you think they chose acid as the method to kill Dodge? Or more importantly, acid that is chucked in her face. Because, like, there are places in the world Mm. where that is what we do to women. Yeah. Who are misbehaving. As we will learn, the Romulans have an intense hatred of synthetic. And so I think you can perhaps parallel the Romulan hatred of synthetics to the patriarchal hatred of women. That it is it is a way to take away the thing that, you know, it's a way of disfiguring a woman. It's basically, you know, I as the I as somebody in the patriarchy have determined that a woman's worth is determined by her beauty. And so like to somebody who thinks that way to disfigure a woman and take away her beauty is like the worst thing that you can do to her. Whereas this isn't a disfiguring acid, it's a dissolving acid, but going at her in her face is really, really disrespectful. It's just, basically like assassination via Bukaki. <laughs> right? Oh, no. <laughs> Fuck it, it's staying in. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I just, you know, because somebody had to make a choice to put that in the script, right? right. And, mm-hmm. and like, obviously, there's a bajillion ways you can kill somebody in the Star Trek universe, including, like, fucking phaser guns yeah. which surely work just as well as spitting acid in someone's face well i don't right? think it was the acid that got her i think it was the acid that made the disruptor explode and that's what got her i mean yes, yeah, the acid, no, got the on acid her. was dissolving her it was dissolved. i mean she would have just dissolved I, that's the impression i got she went boom because i think she went her. boom for john luke oh maybe to, to force john luke to fly to like, fly back yeah. yeah and then he knocked out so he yeah end up back in his chateau holy shit what if it's all a dream Ooh, my God, like Dallas. Is this going to be like 21 Jump Street? Oh, oh, oh boy. Okay. Uh, hot take. Is Dodge an example of women in refrigerators? What do you think? Uh, yeah. yeah. 
I don't know. So when we talked about this before, you mentioned that you felt she was like an actualized character. I do. I, I still feel that way. And not to give too much away about what's coming up in future episodes, but there is another female character that we will be spending a significant amount of time with. And even though we spend more time with this other one than with Dodge, I feel like I know Dodge better. So, so yes, in the sense that her entire existence in episode one is to propel Picard's story forward. Mm-hmm. I would say yes. Um, if we're going to agree that she's actualized and a fully developed character, then I would say no. Because right. the problem is not women dying to forward some other character's mm-hmm. narrative. It's women that have no substance dying right. to propel a male character. And I really felt like she had substance. You know, we obviously the whole thing with her is like she's not a real person. So her life is a lie but you know we see her apartment we meet her boyfriend we learn she's been accepted to daystrom we see her fear we see her activation we get scenes of her alone from her perspective so you know to me it's like i understand obviously you know why they killed her off because that's a big shock and it's like nobody's safe you know but yeah i would have a hard time i think saying that she's a woman in a refrigerator so i'm gonna say that she is um, only because I did not have the same point. Um, point. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're paid the no money to do this. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I did not have the same feelings. Okay. About her. So actually, it's been interesting throughout our discussion um, when you're talking about the actress and how she like really sold it. That like I did not have those feelings at all. Interesting. And like I'm not going to shit on this lady because like uh-huh. we don't do that. We're, right. We're nasty feminists, but um, I she I just didn't do it for me. Like I felt no okay. connection to her. Interesting. As a character, like I just something about her face. I don't know. <laughs> like so this, this stuff- you have that problem with another character in another star trek series that we'll talk about one of these days oh. we were just talking about this neelix no um oh god why am i blanking on her name michael burnham oh god yes i do <laughs> oh no do i secretly hate women no <laughs> it's just women of color <laughs> Uh, well, oh my so, god the yeah self-hatred. so well. anyway um i didn't have the same like connection with her as a character that you did that's interesting um, i don't know why but anyway i think that their clever work around it is the well naturally robots have to be made in pairs so yes this mm-hmm. robot that we've gotten to know for 40 minutes is dead but look <laughs> there's here's, another here, one coming. there's another one so it's just like you still know her and she's still alive yeah so the explosion, as you were saying, blows Picard all the way back to his couch at the Chateau, <laughs> where Laris and Javon are like, dude, there was no one else on that security footage with you. Um, the police found you all alone on that roof. And I was like, oh, police reference. The motherfucking deep state. <laughs> We know that unless well, you've seen the next four episodes, right? So you I have. Okay. So you probably know answers to questions that I'm currently having. <laughs> Maybe. Um, so 
her her assassins, her would be motorcycle helmeted assassins, uh-huh. are Romulans. They are. Um, obviously, there is some entity in power that is protecting their mission to kill since theoretically mm-hmm. right yes um because otherwise who would have deleted the footage like who would have the power to do who that would, yeah and obviously like the deep state does so yes so the federation right? we will we will learn more about the deep state as, really? as we okay. go on. am i right in describing them as deep state um, I don't know that you're right in describing them as deep state, um, but they are definitely there and they are definitely something. Is it section 31? They haven't said yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm all about questionable ethics. Oh, I know. I know. So anyway, Picard realizes that he's got to get out there and do something about this shit because he's been waiting to die. That's the words he uses, waiting to die, sitting in his chateau, drinking his wine, petting his dog, overlooking his stunning vistas, which if that is waiting to die, Stephanie, sign me the fuck up. I am here for that. What is wrong (laughs) with that? What is wrong with having swashbuckling adventures and then when you're like 95 being like, I'm going to drink some wine and pet my dog and look at my beautiful mountain view. So Picard goes to the Daystrom Institute where he meets Dr. Agnes Jirani. And I don't want to get too far into episodes that you have not seen. I just I just have to <laughs> I say. I'm such a failure. I tried really hard. We're going to go on a journey with Dr. Jirani. And some of it is going to be really good writing and really good twists. And there's one particular twist that I literally wanted to take a brick and throw it through my fucking television. Oh, man. So, now I'm going to sit here and try to figure out what it was. Oh, my God. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I'm not going to tell you. You can, you can spoil old Star Trek for me. <laughs> so Picard wastes no time in asking her, hey, is it possible to make a sentient android out of flesh and blood? And obviously her answer here should be a simple, haven't you ever seen an episode of Westworld? Of course it is. So instead she laughs maniacally until she realizes like, oh, he's serious. So she tells him, yes, it was something they were researching, but the technology was a thousand years off. Seems a little um, hyperbolic. Yeah. Yeah. Like you have faster than light <laughs> speed travel. Yeah, so. I, I thought so too. And also, we already had a robot that was kind of fancy. I know. So like, it doesn't seem like we're a thousand years. It has off. to. It has to be hyperbole. So, and then she's like, John Wick, I have a surprise for you. And she opens a drawer and it's B-fucking-four. Um, his dissembled, disassembled? Disassembled parts are stuck in the drawer. And what's Which interesting- like, has to fuck with Picard because it's like- Yeah, Zeta, seriously. I know. What, what I actually learned was that to do that, they were like, we're not going to make another mold of Brent Spiner. So they had to get like all of the original- data parts from Star Trek and they were all like in different warehouses all over the world so they had to go and fly all these parts back because I guess flying all these parts back was cheaper than making another mold. Seems like they just should have made another mold. I don't know. Like the carbon footprint on that. Seriously. Um, But anyway so we get a little narrative about how yes this is what happened in Nemesis. Data tried to download himself into B4. It really didn't go so hot. Almost all of it was lost. And Dr. Gerardi explains nobody has been able to redevelop the science that was used to create Data. Even Data couldn't do it when he tried to create his daughter. But one man Stephanie. 
One man never stopped trying, even when he tried to strip Data down to his wires and Picard had to don his powdered wig and play British barrister. Yes, it's the one, the only, Bruce Maddox. I feel like I'm supposed to know what you're talking about, but so I don't. So you're not. Okay. <laughs> there is a season two episode of Star Trek The Next Generation called Measure of a Man. And the whole concept, the whole plot of Measure of a Man is there's this guy, Bruce Maddox, who does some sciencey things with Starfleet. And he's like, I want to study data so I can try to build more datas. And data's like, well, that sounds cool. And Bruce Mattis is like, yeah, it's going to require that I totally disassemble you. And I might fuck you up and you might never be alive again. But you're property of Starfleet, so I can do what I want. You're not a real person. And data's like, I am a real boy. I am a real boy. So they're at this remote star base where there is one judge advocate general out there, Philippa Louvois who, of course, is an old lover of Picard's because you can never have a female character without her having fucked a man on the show. Hitting a button. And and she's like, well, I guess we're going to have to have a trial, but we don't have any lawyers out here. So instead of like putting some real lawyers on a shuttle, um, Picard, you'll just be Data's defense attorney and Riker, you'll be the prosecutor. I know. Oh, no. I know. So Picard wins the trial anyway. And I mean, then Riker right, right, win the trial. <laughs> <laughs> and then Bruce Maddox is like, I'm sorry I tried to murder you in the name of science. Can we be friends? And then Data's like, of course. And then actually some episodes like show you that Data still corresponds with Bruce Maddox. Because Data doesn't have feelings. He's like, it's all good, man. So it's a little bit of a deep cut. We only meet Bruce Maddox once. We do hear his name, but we only meet him once. So this is why you need someone like you, you know, like, I feel like this is like reading classical literature with like a teacher. <laughs> like, did you get this out of the sentence? And it's like, might need cats to explain it to me. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I'm glad that this kind of stuff takes up areas in my brain that could have been used for more productive things like calculus or... Anyway, we learn that after the synthetics ban, Maddox hightailed it out of the Daystrom Institute, and we learn that he thought that they could make a data-like android if they had Data's neural net to base it off of. Um, in fact, it turns out that Maddox had this whole theory called fractal neuronic cloning which just like sounds amazing because I love fractals, fractals are cool. And that you could basically just take one of Data's neurons and I guess cloning it in a fractal way would make it constitute a neural net, a consciousness. Um, I really have missed the techno babble. Yeah. It was it was nice to have it back. I did uh, get the physics of Star Trek so that ah, okay. I know some science and stuff too, but... Gerardi is just full of surprises because then she tells Picard that the synths would be created in Paris. Um, they don't really explain why. why but so that's why I was no, like, okay. they just wanted to kill Dodge off and still stick with the character and the actor. Yes. You know, like it doesn't. Why do they have to be created in Paris? Why Star Trek? Why? <laughs> anyway. So we then cut to a ship flying into what's called a Romulan reclamation site, and we are introduced to Nera. Okay, hold on. Because we talked about this before I had finished episode one. You're like, oh my God, there's going to be a hot Romulan. I was like, yes, hot Romulan. And then. I mean, like, he doesn't do it for me, but objectively, he's quite a No, dude, he's not hot at all. (laughs) I was like, what the fuck? I was like, all excited about a hot Romulan to take up. So, like, 
2000s emo rocker is not your thing. No, I was thinking like, all right, I'm going to replace like, you know, Riker in my spank bank. And no, no so it was not no. that. Um, so anyway, but yeah, no. so not a hot Romulan. Narek is just a normal person. Okay. So well, he's, he's a just, normal Romulan. He's a British Romulan. Okay. He's a British Romulan. Right. So he introduces himself to Dr. Soji Asha, who we can immediately see is Dodge's twin or one of a set of twins that all look like Dodge. She's got the same necklace and seemingly unlike Dodge, she knows that she's a twin. So that was interesting. Um, So I think this is maybe going back to what we were talking about in the beginning of the episode Mm -hmm. with the five parts. Right. Um, Because it, I don't know that we can assume that Dodge didn't know she was a twin, but it seems like if you're being hunted, right, by motorcycle ninjas, mm-hmm. that you would be like, oh shit, perhaps if I am a fancy robot, my twin sister is a fancy robot. And you would think that would have come up at some point right. in the discussion, like, right? Perhaps while I'm FaceTiming my mother, I should ask about my twin sister and whether she is a fancy robot. Yeah, we're going to talk about this in the next episode. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. okay, all right. So anyway, there goes my theory, whatever it is. Well, no. So so we, we we pull back and we realize that the Romulan reclamation site is, just like the credits promised us, a yes. partially destroyed Borg cube. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So when I saw it, I was like, that's a motherfucking Borg cube. <laughs> so I remember something from TNG. I recognize that shit. Yeah. Okay, so that's the only thing I recognize. And that's the end of the episode. So, um... If you had to give this episode a Bechdel test score, what would it be? Should we should we explain what the Bechdel test is? I mean, yes. chances are, if you are scrolling through iTunes and you're like, oh, feminist Star Trek podcast, that's my jam. You've probably heard of the Bechdel test. Right. But, but okay, I would like you to explain it, but I also would like to understand how you're doing your scoring because I was <laughs> very confused. <laughs> I don't know. I just like put a random number. <laughs> okay, down. I was like so 0.5. I think it's Be- like an up or down. The Bechdel test has three elements. So number one, um... Do two women share a scene together? Number two, do they talk to each other? Number three, do they talk to each other about something besides a man? Right. Okay. So we only have one scene in this episode in which two women converse together alone. And that is the scene between Dodge and her mother. And we don't even know if her mom is real. Right. And the conversation is about the men who tried to kill her and finding Picard a man. Not finding a man for Picard, but finding Picard, comma, a man. Not only finding Picard, comma, a man, it's finding Picard, comma, a man, comma, who will save you. Yes, exactly. So finding an octogenarian... Man, so I mean, I gave it a point five. Um, I guess because they were talking about what the man can do for Dodge, they weren't just talking about, like, don't we feel bad for Picard and his problems, and how can we help him? You know, which would have, if that had been the case, I would have given it a zero. Well, so again, I I didn't really understand how you're doing this, (laughs) (laughs) but the thing is, like. I mean, again, I've only seen the one episode, so maybe I don't have context of things that are going to happen later. But, like, this whole, there's only one person who can save you. Yeah. And it's this elderly gentleman who used to captain a starship. It seems so bizarre to me. So, for that reason, because that is the discussion. So, uh-huh. it's essentially, like, there's this man, and he's amazing, and he can do anything. Um, I would say and, it gets a zero. And why would Bruce Maddox 
program these synthetics or these androids to go find Picard if they were in danger. I mean, I guess that he would think like, well, they can't go find me, but they can go find Picard and like he'll be able to figure it out because he's got the painting. Well, so maybe he chose Picard rather than say a Riker because if they found Commander Riker, we all know where that's going. (laughs) If they're androids, can they consent? But, you know, we are going to get more female characters in this series. So we've got Soji now. We've got Dr. Gerardi. We're going to be introduced to Raffi. We're getting seven of nine at some point in time. We're going to get some X-Borg ladies. You know, they could even bring back the Index. We like the Index. Index is my favorite color, exactly. as I mentioned. So, Steph, what are you looking forward to seeing in this series as the series goes on? So I think based on this episode, we can assume that uh, Picard is going to be a lot of, or maybe give us a lot of social commentary, uh, maybe to kind of reframe real world events. Okay. Um, Because I believe at some point in the episode, they were talking about Romulan um, refugees, right? Yes. And what to do Mm -hmm. with them. Mm -hmm. Um, So obviously the, the parallels for our country are obvious there. Right. Stephanie, do you feel like the Federation has devolved into an authoritarian regime? Why, yes, I do, Kat. I do believe that the Federation has devolved into the word that you said. Let me believe they haven't evolved into salamanders. <laughs> and fucking abandoned their children for no, like, what the hell? Who wrote oh that? Who wrote that? I don't know. It's like the fucking ghost sex. Oh. I do remember that from oh, ghost Anyway, sex. so that, I think that episode is not as bad as you remember. <laughs> There's <laughs> really no way that that episode is not. Anyway, oh. all right. So hot takes. <laughs> hot um, takes. I do think we're on our way. And again, I feel silly that I haven't seen the episodes that are out already. Yeah. But I do think we're on our way to something like the synthetic attack on Mars probably has a real world equivalent. Mm. That's something like the Gulf of Tonkin. Okay. Or like the, you know, Saddam Hussein has WMDs. Right. You know? So where it's like... Um, this event happened. Mm-hmm. No, we had nothing to do with it happening. But as a result of this event, we now have to take X action. So here would be the synthetics, quote unquote, right. Mars. And therefore, we have to get rid of the synthetics. So maybe the synthetics did not destroy Mars, um, but somebody who had an agenda to destroy synthetics destroyed Mars. I think that's where this is going. I'm really curious to find out if the ban on synthetics was the goal or if it was just a means to a different end. You know, was the ban on synthetics like just a side effect of whatever the goal was? And was the goal something to do with the Romulans themselves? Or was the goal to flat out ban synthetics and all of these abandoned Romulan refugees were the intended or unintended beside consequence of that? Well, so again, the only thing I really remember from episode two is that uh, the Romulans are keeping some sort of secret. Yeah. And so maybe it has something to do with that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm also looking forward to depictions of policing. I I really want to find out more about the fuzz of the 24th century. Me too. Yeah. Um, We should definitely, if we're ever able to, uh, spend some time, uh, you know, deep state in it. I think so. Talk about jurisprudence definitely definitely i've got some good i've got some good angles that we can uh, take on that let's stay in our wheelhouse right let's do feminism jurisprudence feminism and law politics yeah so um (laughs) 
Do we want to do a fuck, Mary kill? Yes! Okay, All right. right. Fuck, Mary kill. Okay, go. Oh, this shit. Is, no, it's your idea. You have to do it. No, wait, but like, I, we, see, because I think every fuck, Mary kill needs to have like a theme, you know? Oh, so this is episode one. Should we do all captains? Yeah, let's do all captains. Okay. okay. So, Picard. Okay. <laughs> Dude from the original series. Kirk. <laughs> okay. Okay. What other captain? All right. So we've got Janeway. We've got Archer. We've got Giorgio. We've got Pike. Um, Cisco. Cisco. I forgot about Cisco. Okay. Deep Space Nine is always out there somewhere. Does Cisco count as captain? Here. He gets promoted to captain. He does? Okay. He does. All right. So, okay. So let's stay, uh, let's let's keep it men. Okay. You know? Not that we're not, uh, you know, the type of liberals that would permit a woman to fuck, marry, kill, because in the future, I'm sure we will. We will do ladies one day. Um, so let's do Cisco. Let's do Kirk. And okay. let's do Picard. All right. Um, Mary Picard, because I want to be able to have long-winded intellectual conversations with my spouse. And I feel like he'd be a tender lover. (laughs) (laughs) Kill Kirk. Blast from the past. Too much patriarchy for me. Always making the woman walk around in their short skirts. Yeah. And fuck Cisco. That just seems like it'd be fun. You know, I hate to say it but I think I would do the same thing yeah. and that won't always be the case no not always um I don't know about Picard being a tender lover um do you think it's rough and dirty with Picard no no <laughs> <laughs> I just don't see him that way so if like my marriage to Picard was anything like my first marriage do you, I do you think I, he's like I, a stern British butler I mean <laughs> Yeah, I just like I don't have sexual feelings for Picard. So like if it's anything like my first marriage, it's not gonna involve very much sex. So like <laughs> we can just like talk to each other and hold hands, which I would do- totally be down to do that with Picard. Um, right. Yeah, Kirk, like uh, yeah. I, I, I just there's nothing about him that I enjoy. No, yeah. like nothing. Anyway, I forget what I was gonna say. All right, that's our show. <laughs> <laughs> Roll the credits. We did all the work and we didn't get paid. And I really hope that you guys stick with us. Um, We've literally been recording this for like three hours. Oh, wait, no, two. 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 So it's going to get edited down quite a bit, but we're really looking forward to doing more of these. Yeah, stick with us. Yeah, stick with us. sort of smart. So like eventually we'll figure out how to make this sound good. Yeah. Probably there will be some like music. Yeah. We'll like steal some music off the internet. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. You know, and it does kind of appear that the Federation has devolved into an authority. Fuck. <laughs> I think that we should cut this and then like put it at the end of our credits as a tag. Okay, we already have a bloopers wheel. We're only 90 minutes into this. Okay, again, again, again.